Come on, y'all. Let's give it up one time. Come on. I, uh, I sometimes can't express how proud I am of them for just making the effort, for just getting up here trying to do. They have to be celebrated. We are, uh, I noticed them as they reach different lines of development, different stages of development. I noticed that some of our younger ones who were eager to lead songs when they, when they were younger, Naturally, it's not anything, it's not anything that's not natural, but they naturally pull back. They naturally become more aware of you looking at them. Uh, more importantly, they naturally become aware of how they look. And so they pull back. And it doesn't matter whose child they are, it doesn't matter what profile they've had, they all do the same thing. And so it's our job to encourage them all along the way to do a good job. And I'll say this because he's my nephew, I'll pick on him. CJ used to lead songs left and right and he's reached a point in his development where he's keenly aware of how he looks and how you're looking at him. And so you didn't see me down here, his daddy didn't see me down here telling him sing, sing, because that's our job to tell him, if you're gonna be up here, do it. If you're gonna be up here, do it. All right, now if you're not gonna do it, then don't be up here, that's just the way it is. And he's reaching a point now where we can determine, do I wanna sing in the choir? Is this something that I want for myself or do I wanna serve in some other aspect of ministry? We gotta be able to do that kind of thing. Yeah, say <laughs> what? You gotta be versatile in this. Didn't y'all see her on the drums a minute ago? <laughs> Everybody's got a role to play. We got to encourage them. We, we started a sermon series um, about four weeks ago called God's Ratings. God's Ratings. It's a sermon series on uh, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. We're looking at the Ten Commandments one by one. It's, it's, it's one we've been... Um, I've been enjoying it. It's, it's been good for me to study these, get more in depth about what we're supposed to do uh, in terms of having guidelines for our lives. Everybody here realize you got to have guidelines in your life. You, 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 can't just, you can't just go along without having some structure in your life. People who do well in life put self-imposed structure in their life. And I need to tell you this, if you won't put structure in your life, life will. Life will put structure on you. When you go beyond the bounds of decency, life will step in and tighten you up. Yeah, when you go beyond the bounds of legality, life will step in and tighten you up. And so you would do well to create your own boundaries and make sure you stay well, well within the lines. In case you need to look in your own Bible, the center of this sermon series is Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, I urge you to go there. Today we're going to be talking about verse 7, verse 7. We started out with an introductory sermon on just why God gave the uh, commandments in the first place. And then we moved on and we talked about Jesus, I mean about God declaring himself to be the one true and living God. And we say, 
We call that the real thing. He proclaimed himself the real thing, the real thing. And then we moved on the next week, last week, um, to, God, to God declaring that he didn't want any of our images to try to depict who he is. He didn't want us making images, and so we call that no pictures allowed. No pictures allowed, all right? Today, this message, this, this verse, um, might lead us to a sermon topic that's somewhat shocking to you, but I believe it accurately captures what we're talking about today. Let's read it. Verse 20, I mean, chapter 20, verse 7, uh, the Lord compelled Moses to bring these words back. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. In vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless. Guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. This is going to be a an interesting lesson for some of us who have yet to control our mouths. Uh, Going to be problematic for some folk. I don't expect you to say amen. I just expect you to say okay. All right. Move on with it. Get it? All right. And so today we want to preach a little bit about God's last name is not damn. All right. God's last name is not damn. In the mountains of Turkey, specifically the Taurus Mountains, <clears throat> there is a crane, a crane, a bird, who lives there, crane, who has a biological habit of cackling. It's just what they do. If you go around the habitat for this crane, you will hear a lot of cackling. They're just noisy. Noisy. And you know and I know that when you are a wild creature, noise can be problematic. Because no, every creature, except for the super predators, are somebody else's food. And so when your natural inclination is to cackle, you got to do something to make yourself not do so. These cranes have a habit because they know they put themselves at risk. They have evolved to the point where they will put stones in their mouths. They will put stones in their mouths so they don't cackle, thus protecting themselves because if they don't have the stones in their mouths, they're going to make noise. Some of us need to put some rocks in our mouth. Yeah, you need to walk around with a pebble in your purse, uh, in your pocket. I'm not, I'm, I'm not gonna, 
I'm going to make this gender neutral now. Oh, I found that men gossip and talk as much as women do. Yeah, even though we point the finger, we do the same thing. Yeah. In the front of every face in this room, we all have a problematic implement that God has given us. James talks about it being the undoing of us. Talks about how we need to control it. It's simply called the tongue. You know how powerful the tongue is? Wars have been fought over the tongue. People have died just because of the tongue. Countries have fallen because leaders have not been able to control their tongue. Right now, there's a diplomatic impasse between the United States and Russia because Barack has gotten to the point where he want to say what he want to say and Putin is saying what he wants to say. They've got to, for the sake of peace, not just in our countries but around the world, they got to learn how to control their tongue. But not only do they have to control their tongue, they got to make their emissaries control their tongue. Many of people have gotten in trouble. Men have gotten beat up because their wives couldn't control their tongue. Come on now, you know where I'm going. Yeah, I just tell you this as I'm going in on this one. And she knows this story. She almost got me jacked up one day. I'm at home coming to Tuskegee having a good time. We decide we want to go to McDonald's just for a little have it your way. I'm not, that's Burger King. I mean, just, just for a little sandwich. So we get out the car and walking in, and there's some brothers posted up at the door. All right, and as they go in, one or two of them say something to her. All right, that's all right. I'm walking right behind her, but to make matters worse, she say something back to them. <laughs> Are you kidding me? As you going through the door, you gonna say something to them, and they buff, you know, just buck up as I'm getting to the door. <laughs> now, what's a decent-minded brother to do? Either run back to the car. <laughs> <laughs> which I can't legitimately do. Plus I'm, you know, swole with testosterone around that time. I'm in, I'm in the place, I'm in Tuskegee where I came into manhood. So I got to say something hard at them like, what you talk, you know, something. <laughs> so I say what I'm gonna say and then go in there and sweat through the line, wondering if they gonna be waiting on me when I come out. The power of the tongue can get you messed up. <laughs> Everything worked out all right after I bought them. After I bought them lunch, they were cooking all this. I did. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. It worked out all right, but it it was problematic. It, it, it could have been. It could have been a problem for us, but things worked out all right. And I wonder how many near misses weren't near misses, but actually happened just because somebody somebody said something. This third commandment. This third commandment probably is not going to, as we go through the study today, it's probably going to give you some stuff you haven't thought about in terms of taking the Lord's name in vain. We always think about cursing, all right? And we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. But it deals with far more than just having a filthy mouth. 
All right, and let's go ahead right now. Let's go ahead right now. We'll get, we'll get the tension out of the room. Let's assume that at some point, everybody's had a filthy mouth. All right, so you don't have to look around at anybody. You said something you don't, uh, you don't like, you don't appreciate. I've admitted to you that at some point in my life, I was full of gutter mouth. All right, full of it. And, and I, ain't, I ain't completely blameless today. All right. Just the, just the truth of it. Just the truth of it. We, we all deal with, with the issues that we deal with. And I want, but I want us to look at this, and I want you to see how we damn ourselves. Look at that word. Yeah. See, because that word has a connotation that can be negative or instructive. It depends on the context that you use that word in. And so I want us to look at why it is we should not take the Lord's name in vain. You need to ask yourself, why is it that you shouldn't take the Lord's name in vain? First of all, you should know that the Lord's name is a venerated name, a venerated name, venerable name. Let me see if I can give you an example of what, of what that means. And I've put, I put the definition of what venerable means. I want you to understand that it's a holy name. It's a sacred name. His name is worthy of respect and reverence. Reverence. His name. Not every name, but his name is absolutely worthy of all the glory and respect and honor that we can muster up to give it. Alright? Back when scripture was written, names had more significance than they do today. You would name a child or some place after its character. Alright? You wouldn't just pull a name, hello, out of a book because it sounded good or because it depicted what you expected out of life. We, 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 we today, and, and I'm, Lord knows I don't want to offend anybody, but you wouldn't just find someone naming a child Escalade. It would have to have meaning about the child's character. It would have to uplift the child in some way. There are all sorts of things we name children today that may reflect our hopes for them having a successful and a prosperous life, but don't bespeak the child's character. God's name bespeaks his character. In fact, if you look through scripture, the only way we know God is by the revelation of his name. All right? He allows us to peek into who he is by revealing his name to us. You need to know in scripture, there are over 300, by some counts, 300 uh, names given to God, to God alone. And why would some being have to have 300 names? And I can tell you 300 names don't begin to capture the majesty and wonder of who God is. You can't simply capture who he is. You can call me Andre and pretty much wrap it up. All right, that's Andre. But you can't just say it one name for God and identify all his greatness. 
No, no. His name is worthy of all that we can identify as glory. And in truth, it's the only way we can know him. We got two of them identified in this passage. One of them is Lord. Lord. L-O-R-D. Lord. I was going to tell you what an example of venerable. Venerable. Recently, there was an incident down in Auburn where a gentleman, a misguided gentleman, poisoned two trees. By any other standard, they were just two oak trees. All right, just two oak trees. Nobody would otherwise have thought that two oak trees meant anything except for where these two oak trees stood. All right, these two oak, oak trees stood on, in a place called Tumor's Corner, which for anyone who has gone to Auburn University or been a part of the Auburn University community or Auburn community knows that Tumor's Corner is the, is the gathering spot for all things Auburn. Whenever something good happens, everybody gathers at Tumor's Corner. In fact, they have a tradition, had a tradition of of rolling tumors corner. They would take perfectly good toilet tissue <laughs> or streamers <laughs> and they would, they would throw them into those oak trees standing there. And, uh, and when you walk past, if you've ever seen any pictures of it, it would be white. It would be white because th that was a celebration in Auburn. And so this misguided guy who calls himself the ultimate Alabama fan, but we know he's simply just a troubled person, poisoning these trees. And ultimately he killed them, they're, they're gone. They're gone now. Well in the trial of this, young, of this man, <clears throat> the prosecution sought to declare the worth of the trees. Because if you don't put a value on the trees, then it's just two trees that's probably worth a couple hundred dollars. And so his argument, I thought, was rather novel. He declared that these trees were venerated trees. This is his legal argument. These are not just two trees, but these are two venerated, honorable, historic, worthy of celebration trees, thus jacking the price of them up on the trees, it didn't matter because he came in and accepted responsibility, but I thought it's a good example to show you how, what venerated means. It can take that which might otherwise be grand, normal, and, and put a, 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 a great worth on it. And so when I tell you that God's name is venerable, then I want you to know that it's of immeasurable quantity and quality. His name is and the one name that you and I have been revealed that we know the most of is Lord. Lord. See, Lord is the Hebrew, is the English version of the Hebrew word Jehovah. That's where we get Lord from, all right? And it describes God as the self-existent one. It describes him as eternal. When God told Moses... Moses said, Lord, when I go in here, for those of you who, 
who don't know this in the Bible, Moses was the one who led the children of Israel, the children of uh, the Hebrew children out of Egypt. Out of Egypt, God had identified him as the one who was going to be the leader of it. He was the, for, for lack, he was the Martin Luther King Jr. of the movement. At the time, he led them out of the situation they were in. And, 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 and Moses having a conversation directly with God, one of the few human beings to do so directly, he was with God and he said, he said who am I going to say sent me? Because, because I'm a person and I know how people think. And just because I walk up in Pharaoh's court and say, let my people go, Pharaoh is going to want to know, who do you speak for? And God simply said to Moses, he didn't say, he didn't say, uh, he didn't write his name down and give it to him on a business card. He simply said, tell him I am. I, I am. Now, I want you to understand, I am means everything. I, I am means that I'm the one that put everything you know in action. I am. Before anything was that was that was, I am. Before anything you know was created, I am. I am. And this is who God revealed himself as. I, I am. I am. And so Moses went back and in the writing it comes out, I am comes out as Jehovah. Jehovah. And we render that in our language as Lord. In the King James Version of the Bible, that comes out as, as Lord. Now, so when we write Jehovah, Jehovah identifies a character of God as being the self-existent one. And what we do is we take, we take attributes and attach them to Jehovah to give us other peaks into who God is. I bet you know him. When we say he's Jehovah Jireh, then we know from our studies that means God is a provider, all right? Because he revealed himself at another time to another person in another circumstance as Jehovah Jireh. He also revealed himself as Jehovah Nisi when he was sending someone into battle and they were concerned. And he said, I'll be the one who goes in front of you. And Jehovah Nisi means the Lord my banner. He also revealed himself as Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom is the Lord my, my peace. And we can go on and on and on, but this is how we learn who God is. And the fact that he reveals himself like this, this is the one who created everything we know. The fact that he reveals himself like this elevates our understanding so we know we can't play with his name. You can't just say anything about God's name. Why in the world would you let roll off your lips something that is not complimentary? It's worse than talking about your mama. Yeah, it's worse than a yo mama joke when you say something about God because you talking about your mama's makeup. 
You've got to be aware of what comes out of your mouth. He also revealed himself as not just Lord, but he also revealed himself as God. Elohim. Oh, Elohim. Which refers to the supreme being. The faithful, the triune, three parts. God. He's Elohim. Now, the fact that he reveals these things to us lets us know that he has an expectation that we will act towards him in a manner that befits his status in our lives. So if you walk around here and you talk negatively about him, one might assume he means nothing to you. But if you say he is your Lord, your Jehovah, then he expects you as his loyal subject to give him the honor that he is due. God's name should be adored. His name should be adored. Let me tell you how much adoration the Jews had for his name. The Jewish scribes, when they were writing the scrolls, the, 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 the Pentateuch or whatever scroll, when they would come to a part of the writing and they had to write his name, the scribes would stop writing. They would go and bathe themselves. Bathe themselves. Before they would even write his name, they would go and cleanse themselves, come back with one pen, write his name, and destroy the pen after they wrote his name because after you write his name, nothing else is worthy of being written. That's how much respect and reverence they had for the name of God. They won't even, Orthodox Jews today, won't even say the name. They have that much respect. In fact, instead of saying Jehovah, they will write the name for Lord. Some lesser name that they allowed themselves to say. When we use God's name, it's supposed to be in a manner that's consistent with his character. So it's a venerable name. The problem we have today, and the reason why he gave us this commandment, is even though his name is a venerable name, it's violated every day. His name is violated every day. All right? So how, Reverend Sparks, do we violate his name? We violate his name when we use it as a curse. When we use it as a curse. I don't even think I have enough time today to come up with all the curse words that use God in it or some derivative. How many folk get mad and before they know it, they have cursed the situation with God's name. In fact, it's become such a common thing that I remember when I was growing up, you didn't hear anybody curse on TV 
That didn't happen. It used to be such that the censors on live TV had enough time to react. And if somebody said something, they could just bleep it out. The bleep is broke today. <laughs> it's gone. You, you can't stop them. What they, in fact, it's so common, I believe if you're a star now, you got to figure out some kind of way to cuss on TV. And more often than not, when you do it, you're going to be saying something that's negative about God. And today, for instructive purposes, I need you to know that when you holler Jesus Christ in a way that's not befitting of his character, that reveals your frustration, you're not using his name in a venerated way. When you don't say Jesus, some folk won't say Jesus, but they'll say Christ. You've also degraded the character of his name. When you simply holler out, oh my God. Which we say time and time again. Or when you say, oh God. You're not saying something that's supportive of who our God, our God is. When you throw it around so casually. When you play with his name. Come on now. Think of all the ways that you play with his name. All the situations that you're not serious when you bring his name into the context. These are ways that we take his name in vain. No matter how you say it, when you use the Lord's name in vain, you're guilty of violating the holiest. The holiest of names. Now, 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 I told you. I'm not pointing the fingers at anybody. But we get to a point where this becomes a part of who we are and how we communicate with folk. Something that you gotta wipe out of your mouth. Yeah, even the little slings we use. Now, I ain't talking about slamming the dough in, 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 in your hands in the dough. I'm not talking about that. I'm not excusing that when you holler something that you shouldn't holler and the Lord's name is in it. I'm talking about the everyday conversations that you have when you're bringing the Lord's name up, when you're being playful. His name doesn't belong in that context. His name is simply worthy of praise, not worthy of folly. And so when we use it as a curse, we violate his name. When we take it and use it casually, we violate his name. Yeah, Sunday after Sunday. See, this might not be what you think. We use his name casually. The biggest victims, the biggest violators of this are folk who come to church every Sunday. When you come in here and you sing in songs of praise to the Lord and you don't mean it. You just going through the motion. Yeah, you just saying something because everybody else is saying something. Yeah, I get up on Sundays and I say all the time, now that's a mature song. Don't sing that song if you don't mean that song because you'll violate his name over and over and over again we implore we're implored by the choir to sing praises unto him and you don't even want to be here you you didn't even get that straight at the door before you came in you didn't even straighten out do i need to be in this sanctuary 
and yet you're going to stand up and mouth the words of praise to God, you're violating this commandment to take the Lord's name in vain. When you invoke the wonderful name of God without meaning or significance, without being reverent or respectful, without having a spirit of adoration and worship, then you are guilty. I don't care how much you practice in the choir. If it's not in your heart, if you don't mean it when you sing it, then you are guilty of violating this commandment. And so we're guilty of violating this commandment when we use it as a curse, when we use it casually, and lastly, you're guilty of violating it when you use it as camouflage. Yeah. Yeah. You know what happens when you're walking down the street and somebody says something to you, you say, God bless you. And don't mean it. Yeah, yeah. Don't mean it. It's just like saying, what up? Except you're putting God bless you in it. Or when you're saying God bless you, and you really mean get out of my way. This is using his name in vain. Yeah, when we vow to do one thing to God, and then we turn around and do something else, we're using it as, cam as camouflage, as God is my witness. We say that. No, and we don't mean it, because I mean, let me tell you this, God is your witness. Not only is he your witness, he's your prosecutor, he's your judge, and he'll be your executioner too. Yeah, be careful what slides out of your mouth. The, the hypocrisy of the church is that it's worse coming from those of us who say we love him than those on the streets who don't know anything about him. That's why we, we give the Lord a bad name by the things we do, by the conversations we have, by the actions we take. We hurt his reputation and his character. We show his worth when we degrade him publicly by our own conversations. You cannot use God's name as camouflage for doing wrong, for undermining somebody. Yeah, I'm trying to get back at somebody and I say, God knows my heart. Yeah, God, God wants me to get even with him. Let me say this and I'm out of here. God's name is a venerable name and it's due to be praised. We often violate his name, but I need to tell you this as I go sit down. His name will be vindicated. Oh, it will. He put it right there in the scripture. Right there he says, I will not hold him guiltless, guiltless, without guilt, that taketh my name in vain. His name will be vindicated. Two things. There will be punishment for the violator. 
there will be punishment for the violator. Do you know right now, right now, there are people who are public relations representatives for various stars. Their sole job is to get up in the morning. They got a program it's called a web crawler. They put it in play and the, and the program goes out and any article that has the star's name in it, the web crawler pulls that article. This is so that they can maintain the brand. And if somebody says something negative about the star, public relations firm can go after them and say, you need to pull this article because it shows my person in a negative light. If it says something wonderful, it can be a tweet. It doesn't matter. If it's online and the person's name is mentioned, then the web crawler is going to pull it. This is the same process when you go out and you Google something. And you put, yeah, Google uses the same process to go out and pull everything. If you put, if you put lollipop in, Google will use a web crawler process to go out and pull every article or anything that has lollipop in it. Now imagine if God used a web crawler on your life and pulled any mention you made of his name. Some of us need to go and sit down somewhere and <laughs> sit Lord, I quit. <laughs> because we know we've been guilty. And let me tell you this. There's punishment for the violator. There's punishment for the violator. You need to clean up your mouth. You need to put a stone in your mouth. But not only is there punishment for the violator, there's also going to be a pathway for Christians. Yeah. <laughs> During the um, Welsh War of 1904, there were miners, miners, who had been saved by various members of the military. And they were sent back into the mines to help mine the coal and the other natural ingredients that they would use in the military war effort, the war effort. And they, uh, they had been captured and held for a while. Soldiers came and rescued them, sent them back into the mines. They had to retrain the mules that worked with them. And so they went in to retrain the mules and it seemed that they could not get the mules to do anything they wanted them to do unless they cussed them. Because when they first started working with the mules, every command, every instruction involved cussing. And so if they just talked decent to the mules, the mules wouldn't move. Some folk like that. Some, some folk, you, you can say something real nice to them, but they've been trained in the cuss factory. 
and it ain't till you pull one from way down deep. Drop it on them. That you get interaction out of them at all. God ain't like that. No, 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 no. We got to retrain the cussers. Not only do we have to retrain the cussers, we got to retrain ourselves not to respond to the cussing. I love this about God, that he knew all of our shortcomings. He knew that we would not do right. You know, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to raise a child and watch that child cuss you out. Oh, ain't nobody going to put up with that. Nobody's going to put up with that. Because the first thing you will say is, I brought you in this world. And if you talk to me like that, I'll take you out. That's what God is saying to you. That's what God is saying to you. He said, I brought you in this world. And if you keep talking to me like that, if you keep degrading my name, if you keep fouling my name like that, guess what? I'll take you out. It's time to clean up our language. He gave us a cleanser. He gave us one who could wash all of that away from us. And it's interesting that you can violate God with a word and you can reclaim your relationship with him with the word. With the word. The same word that created everything is the same word that can straighten everything out in your life. My question to you today is do you know him? Do you know the cleanser that God sent us to straighten us out? Do you know him? His name is Jesus. Jesus Christ. He simply happens to be part of the venerated name of God. He's part of the triune being that we know as the Godhead. He's God's son. If you follow him, if you abide by him, if you praise him, then he can straighten things out between you and the father. It doesn't mean you never cursed. It simply means that when you accept God, I mean, when you accept Jesus Christ as your cleanser, as the one who can clean up your life, God no longer looks at you, the cusser, but he looks at you, the cleansed one. But you have to accept him. You have to put Jesus Christ as your overlay. See, see, when God looks at me, the same mouth that preaches, he doesn't see the one that cuss. He sees the one that's reaching for him. Through Jesus. Help me, Lord. Help me to get closer to you. Help me to be better than I've ever been before through your son, Jesus Christ. My question to you today is, do you know this Jesus? Do you know he died for you? Do you know that he was resurrected to life new for you? Have you accepted him as your savior? I want to extend this invitation to you today. 
I want you to, I want you to dispel any notions you've had of what church is. All the negatives that you know about church and just know this, church at its essence is about love. That's what church is. My question to you today is, do you know love in your life? Do you have somebody who loves you? Do you have someone who cares about you? Do you have someone who's concerned about your everyday? I'm extending to you this invitation today to become a part of that organization. Jesus Christ's church. Right now, today, right this moment. Don't let another day go by. Don't expect that you'll have tomorrow. Don't expect that you'll have this afternoon. You need to take advantage of this situation right now. Right now. Because he's waiting for you. Church is waiting for you. The doors of our church are open. Candidates for baptism. Reunite with us. If you know you need to come on back to church, come on. We've been waiting on you. Doors of our church are wide open. Today is the first Sunday of the month. And as we normally do, we celebrate the gift of example that Jesus Christ gave us in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. I hope you've already prepared. I said at the top of the hour that we were going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And it's my prayer that you've already gotten those, those elements so that you can celebrate with us. As I lead you into this service and prior to our musicians singing one of these good old Lord's Supper songs, we call them. I want to read a scripture to you to give you a frame of reference on what it means. Luke, the gospel writer, wrote in the 22nd chapter these words, and he said with them, said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer, changing the atmosphere. Lord, what you talking about? We're having a good time here. We're celebrating. It's a good holiday. And then you bring the seriousness into us. And Jesus said to him, he said, he said to them, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. At this point, Jesus has everybody's attention. Everybody's paying attention to him. They're not playing around anymore. Verse 17 says, and then he picked up a cup on the table and he offered thanks to it. He offered thanks to the Lord for the cup. And he said, take this cup and divide it among yourselves. In other words, each one take the cup and drink a little bit of it until everybody has had some. And he continued by telling them, for I say unto you, I will not eat, I will not, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God has come. Still has their attention. They're confused, though. They're doing what he tells them to do. They don't understand he's instituting this ordinance that we call the Lord's Supper. And then he took a piece of bread that was on the table, left over from the meal they had had. And he broke that bread off. And he ate some after he gave thanks for it as well. And then he passed it along and said, everybody break some off this bread. And he said, this bread is my body, which is given for you. They're puzzled. He said, when you do it, there's one thought in mind. Remember this. When you do it, when you drink the cup, when you eat the bread, from this day forward, remember me. 
Then he said, there's a, a cup after the supper saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. That's some more intrigue that goes into that, that setting around the table. But suffice to say that that was how Christ instituted this ordinance we call the Lord's Supper. By demonstration of prayer first and then sharing. And he said the sole purpose is not because it's the first Sunday. It's not because you go to a church of a certain denomination. It's not because you are a man and there's a, it's none of that. All of it matters is that you remember me and remember the sacrifice that I'm going to make for you. And right now, we're going to pray that the Lord would bless. Father, we bless your name and we ask you to bless this fruit of the vine that certainly represents the blood that was shed on Calvary. We thank you, Lord, for being willing to die for us and we thank you for the purpose for which the blood was shed. Isaiah told us plainly that the blood was shed because it pleased the Father. Yes, God found the redemption that came from the flow of your blood to be satisfactory for the remission of our sins. And we so thank you, Lord, for being willing to be our sacrifice. And then, Lord, we thank you for giving your body that's represented by this bread. And we thank you for allowing your body to be to be beaten and to be crucified and to be killed there on that rugged cross. And we thank you for not calling down legions of angels, stopping the process, but staying there until heaven was satisfied. We thank you for that because we know that in your death, our salvation came. We also know that in your resurrection, our new life comes. And so unto you, Lord, who paid this price for us, we offer this prayer. In the name of Jesus, we say, amen. Now, if you've got your cup today, if you've got it, I ask you if you would now, prepare yourselves. Everybody here have it? Excellent, y'all got it? Excellent. Come on, y'all. Sing us a song, y'all. The blood that Jesus shed for me way back on Calvary the blood that gives me strength from
bread now. I ask you to now take it. Remember him and eat. And if you have the juice, whatever kind of juice you have, I ask you to now drink. cyber sanctuary where we are still going to be striving to be the friendliest church from the parking lot to the movie. God bless you. Thank you. Christ, we are the friendliest church. From the parking lot to the pulpit, pulpit, pulpit. Through Christ, we are the friendliest church. From the parking lot to the pulpit, pulpit, pulpit. How blessed God's authority. We try to be the friendliest church everywhere we go. People want to know through Christ we can do anything. So we choose to be the friendliest church. We are, we are the friendliest church from the parking lot to the pulpit.